You are listening to the Data Point podcast, brought to you by The Hindu. I'm your host, Sonika Loganathan. Today, we're stepping away from our earthly issues and instead taking a look at our extraterrestrial issues. And yes, as much as I wish I could record this episode from the International Space Station, turns out space isn't as clean as we might think. I'm talking about space debris, bits and pieces of old satellites and rockets that we've left behind that are just kind of floating around the Earth, especially in the low Earth orbit, which is closest to Earth, and also where most of the satellites are. So just how much trash do we have floating above us? Since 1957, the number of spacecraft and satellites we've launched has been steadily rising, with a major increase after 2010. While space missions started off as government projects, we now have several private entities competing in the space race, one example being Elon Musk's Starlink satellite constellations. But the amount of fragmentation debris seen in space has remained significantly higher than the number of spacecraft, satellite, and rocket bodies. Data from 2023 finds that there are 13,953 pieces of trackable debris in space, compared to 10,350 spacecrafts or satellites and 2,337 rocket bodies. So with so many stakeholders in the space race today, there certainly isn't going to be a slowing down of satellite launches. So what do we do about all the debris? I spoke to Anirudh Sharma, the founder and CEO of the Gantara, a space situational awareness company based in India. And I also spoke to Dr. Sanit Biswas, who is an assistant professor at IIIT Delhi. And his research interests are in space vehicle navigation, GNSS applications, nonlinear estimation, and space situational awareness. I wanted to figure out just how big of a problem space debris is. So Anirudh, give us some background on the situation. Let us start from the fact that the first mission to space was launched by Russia called Sputnik in 1957. Since then till now, we have over 5,000 active satellites in the orbit. For 5,000 satellites, we have more than 1 million objects. It's nothing but space junk, right? So at this stage where we are at, while the industry is facing a huge transformation, a lot of enterprises are launching more satellites to space. So at this point, Understanding what's happening in space in terms of where each of these objects are is also important. And Sanat, is cleaning up space something that we've kind of neglected to do? Historically, no one actually thought that this stage would ever come, right? So because earlier when the space activity started, it started with one satellite, right? And no one knew that we'll be so much dependent on space technology, knowingly or unknowingly, right? And then it it was found that uh, I mean it it is now space uh, space based uh, infrastructures are used for transportation, for communication, for your finance, right? Power grid. So in all the major aspects, so it is kind of necessary to send satellites, right? 
and in terms of this cleaning up these space objects i mean particularly the defunct satellites the people started thinking about this in since 1970s however the technology so far is not mature enough every launch that we do has some residue and it creates more and more space debris because of that the problem right now has become so huge that even the international agencies and bodies are looking at a legal binding or a policy where we can do something like what we've done in the aviation sector where we create a uniform governance way to understand what's happening things are easier if you can find and track pieces of debris because even something as small as a paint fleck could cause damage satellite operation is much easier to do when we know where these objects are so there is a golden rush uh, to put satellite services in the orbit and these objects in the orbit move at speed of uh, 10 to 12 kilometers per, se- uh, per second at this hyper velocities each of these objects can cause a potential threat to even smaller satellites right now satellite size have come down launch costs have come down access to space has become much easier than ever so the stage that we are at we'll have to tackle this problem somewhere or the other now anirudh brings up a crucial point as much as we do understand space as a vast expanse there also really is only so much space when we look at the history of the space sector initially the launches were predominantly done by government agencies mostly for national strategic reasons and military reasons so since then till now you know people have been launching satellites there are more than 40 nations today representing their assets in the orbit we have more than 6000 active satellites both from commercial and government agencies so while we've seen a growth in the number of space objects one thing that we neglected or one thing that we did not realize all these years was the fact that we felt we have infinite space in the space or in orbit which is not true i mean the space in orbits are pretty much finite it's it's something that is usable for us i mean the space that is usable by us are very limited i mean orbits are like highways so uh, i mean there is a definition called orbit carrying capacity how much each of these orbits can carry how many satellites can we put up in these orbits so that's something that defines the orbital every density or population density at this point in time he says that because there are already mega constellations being launched and with more companies announcing their space plans space is already congested and competitive what was originally a military endeavor has now become a whoever gets to space first owns that space sort of situation the time right now is is very crucial for us to plan mitigation strategies for creating a safer and sustainable space environment by developing technologies that can help us mitigate these space objects the thing is even though some countries are responsible for more debris than others because so much has already accumulated collisions could affect anyone and everyone you can think this from climate change perspective right so no matter who are responsible everybody gets affected and everybody suffers right so same goes for space debris as well so no matter who are responsible everybody is suffering will suffer right so then if we say that okay hey you have uh, you are responsible for this clean up this mess right but then there is no a legal binding for them right to clean this up right so then we anyway suffer it should be thought of a shared responsibility and there should be some sort of uh, international framework right 
which shares this responsibility and prevent these irresponsible waste activities. Now, before we even start talking about cleaning up, Anirudh says we got to take a step back. Even before we do any mitigation in the orbit, the first step that we'll have to uh, do is to understand where these objects are. That is something that we do not have today. World tracks only about 30,000 objects every single day with ground-based systems. And we do not know what's happening with rest 900 to 1 million objects in the orbit. When we do not know where these objects are, removing is another big question, right? So at this point in time, the first step to even start working on creating a level grounds here or also understanding how we can govern activities in space would be to understand where each of these objects are. The second layer would be uh, solving for mitigating these objects, whichever we think is a potential threat or whichever uh, object is much bigger, we'll have to remove that first. So it's only after that first step of identifying and tracking these objects can we begin to really talk about mitigation. Cleanup efforts are being discussed by both government and commercial agencies and can prove to be a major moneymaker in the space field. There are both commercial companies and government agencies working towards space debris mitigation. We've seen examples where uh, European Space Agency uh, recently announced a contract to a private company to clear a space debris that they created long ago. Similarly, JAXA from Japan, Japanese Space Agency, have also started taking active measures in removing the space objects. When we use any other uh, methods, like we launching another mission to remove a debris, that's called active debris removal. And what India did recently is more of a passive method where they just deorbit the object that's there in the orbit and, and it burns up while it uh, enters back in the atmosphere. So, Sanit, if we had, you know, for example, an unlimited budget, unlimited resources, you know, how would you suggest that we get rid of this debris? What are our options? What's the ideal? So, again, I mean, uh, when you are talking about this ideal infinite amount of budget, right? So that is not actually a a, a right way, right? Because practically, obviously, resource is limited, right? So rather than that, it is better uh, to think in this way that whatever satellites will be defunct so that should be either sent to some graveyard orbit or it should be brought down right so these are much more efficient way of doing so how do we go about doing this anirudh breaks it down a bit these objects are moving at 15 times the speed of bullet can you catch any object that's moving at 15 times the speed of bullet it's really difficult to catch it because even your um, you know, satellite that you would launch or your mission would also be traveling at the same relative velocity, which means even your object is moving at 15 times the speed of bullet, the other object is moving at 15 times the speed of bullet. To catching these debris, it's, it's a bit of a challenge right now. So that's where there are a lot of technologies and terms called rendezvous and proximity operations that are being carried out to, to bring expertise where we can go near to a space object and, you know, kind of attract to that uh, using ferromagnetism and then bring it down uh, using uh, our own thrusters and then having a re-entry into atmosphere. That's one way to do it. The second way that European space agencies contract to a company called Clear Space in Europe, they're what they're doing is they're using claw kind of a mechanism to catch a debris. Again, they'll have to perfect uh, rendezvous and proximity operations, uh, which means going close to an object and observing it and then knowing the behavior of the object will be able to we should be able to catch 
that object using the cloud that uh, we're building. So these are the uh, methodologies that are used today. Apart from that, there have been concepts like uh, ferromagnetism where we, uh, where you attract another uh, debris and then uh, you remove it. You have a servicer and you, uh, you have a client. You, you kind of catch it and then bring it back to the atmosphere so that it burns. That's one way to do it. And the second way is to use harpoon kind of a mechanism, but it's more or less at this point in time, what I can tell you is it's it's more of a theory that we have not experimented yet. So there are companies and space agencies who are looking at doing active space debris removal. Uh, until now, we have not seen any successful attempts, but there have been attempts to remove space debris. Now, Russia is responsible for most of the space debris, about 35%. of the debris came from the United States, and China is in third place, responsible for about 29%. A 2007 Chinese anti-satellite test resulted in over 2,700 pieces of debris, marking the single worst contamination of space in history. This debris is still in orbit, so when it comes to dividing the responsibility of this cleanup work, Should it and does it fall on the countries that have left the most debris behind? Or is it in everyone's best interest to take up cleanup efforts, considering that at the end of the day, debris doesn't pick which country's satellite it's going to collide with? Anirudh says that one way of looking at this is, you know, countries which have created debris, they should be the ones responsible for removing them. And that's what is happening. Like I said, the examples before of Japanese space agency and European space agency contracting to a commercial company to remove a debris which they created. While this can happen to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, while we are moving forward as an industry, as a space industry, it is very important to have a common operating picture of what's happening in space To even do that, uh, whatever debris has been created, it should be a global effort where we together come forward to remove space objects. And this is something that a commercial company cannot do because there is no incentive for a commercial company to do it. It has to be government because space is a common resource for all and there is no governance that is existing today in the world. Looking at the efforts... Right now, I think uh, uh, the global space industry is, is positioned and, and are working towards contributing to remove these objects, be it US, Japan, European Space Agency, and, and even India, for a fact, when they did their ASAT test, uh, they, they kind of calculated how much of these debris would be in the orbit and how much time will it take for them to uh, remove these objects from the orbit. Sanat, can you tell me more about India's role here? How much debris have we caused? So in terms of creating space debris, I would say that compared to other space agencies, right, ISRO has shown a lot more uh, responsible behavior, right? And one thing that you can always mention when people bring it up is this uh, ASAT test that has been done by India, right? This anti-satellite testing, there is obviously two school of thought whether we should do it for defense purpose or we should not do it so that's different thing right different debate but when india did it they did it very responsibly uh, responsibly and the way they did it so that that the whatever debris generates it disintegrates right now let's talk about these anti-satellite tests or asat tests this is when 
an anti-satellite weapon is sent to damage or destroy a satellite. And the purpose of this is generally, you know, national security. It's like a space warfare tactic. And there's only four countries, the US, China, Russia, and India, that have ASAT capabilities. The thing is, these ASAT tests are a major contributor of space debris. Can you expand on how this is done? Yeah, so most of the information is a little bit, I mean, not publicly available. However, what I could understand from various talks was that uh, calculated collision position was calculated in such a way that it occurs in uh, a little bit denser atmosphere. The target satellite was selected, which is the altitude was lower so that it's, it has a denser atmosphere there. Now you create the debris, right? Then what happens is that since you have a denser atmosphere, this with friction, atmospheric friction, the, those debris disintegrate. So, uh, so it does not exist anymore. So Anirudh, given this, would you say that ASAT tests are worth it considering that, you know, they do pose an increased risk for the ongoing and future space operations? So one way to look at this is like, um, you know, creating uh, nuclear capabilities. Every country in the world, which which had to win the military race, started, uh, you know, building nuclear capability. US did, Russia did, China, Pakistan, India. Every country had to start doing this because they wanted to be competitive enough in the military landscape. And ASAT test is also one such scenario where they wanted to make sure that they have capabilities even to conduct any space-based military activity. And this was one of the uh, strategic moves by each of these nations which conducted ASAT test. And and while it had a strategic military advantage, uh, it also has a consequence, which is creating more and more debris, which could be potential threat to satellites. Now, we're all dependent on satellites and satellite capabilities in our daily lives. We don't just realize that uh, from the phone calls we make to emails, transactions in stock market, timestamps, weather reports, navigation, everything is interlinked to assets in the orbit. And it is very much important for us to protect assets in space, while for the military, it is also important to balance off the risks and understand, is it worth it to do such tests? And when it comes to a nation, it could be a scenario where uh, they they just want to be uh, they want to make sure that they are well positioned in the military landscape and hence they want to do such tests one of the examples that i can give you is um, there was a recent test again by russia india and after that uh, us proposed for nasad band and right now i think there have been uh, there has been eight countries which is signed uh, to ban ASAT, which is moving in the good direction right now. So spacefaring nations have agreed to stop conducting any anti-satellite tests, which can create more and more debris because at the end of the day, they're showing capabilities, but it would affect their future because they cannot show any more capabilities if they create more and more debris in space that would eventually affect their operations in orbit. I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about how debris is tracked. So we have to kind of look at this data with a pinch of salt because it only accounts for the debris that we can count and account for. Trackable debris is debris that is bigger than 10 centimeters. So much of the junk out there, though, is smaller than 10 centimeters. It's untraceable, untrackable, and 
they can still cause major damage to satellites. Anirudh said that this makes things very uncertain. One way to look at it is, um, you know, while we are driving a car, at least we know what's happening in our surrounding and we are aware of uh, what's happening in and around the vehicle that you drive. But when you are in space and when you're operating a satellite, you don't even know what's happening in the orbit. It's all probabilities today. It's all risks that you do not know today. It's uncertainties at the end of the day, which makes it difficult for a satellite operator to even operate a satellite at this point in time. Uh, so when these objects are moving, I mean, even the active satellites, uh, like I said, the velocity in these orbits are much higher, like, you know, 10 to 12 kilometers per second or 15, 16 times the speed of bullet. At such speeds, even a single centimeter-sized uh, object can, caught up, uh, can cause a potential damage to satellites out there. Uh, let's just say a fleck of a paint can damage solar panels. If solar panels are damaged, it becomes difficult for a space mission to generate power. At that point in time, you're losing your lifespan and you're losing your critical component that is needed for your space mission to survive. At that time, you're losing your entire business model. So this is something that can happen. Now, Sanat, is there anything that can be done to minimize the damage that the smaller debris cause? So at this moment, one thing that can should be focused on is try to track these objects. Although it's very difficult and technologically, many of the space agencies are trying it and still not, they are not able to do it. So that is the only thing that you can do. And uh, another thing what you what can be done is that harden your structure so that the damage goes to the structure, not in the core parts, right? But then that adds up to the cost of launching the satellite as well. So it's a tricky thing to do. Figuring out and agreeing on what to do is another issue. Anirudh explains that because each country or company makes their own predictions and calculations, this becomes another challenge. Now imagine a scenario where there are two satellites um, that are active satellites and they they are in the same path and path of collision. Now, each of these satellites have to move so that they don't collide. Do we have a common understanding today in space sector? We do not because the data sets that we get from the US could be different from the data sets that the Russian government is generating. There is no common picture of what's happening. There is no common or there is no uniformity in understanding of the space activity that makes it difficult for satellite operators and debris is is one of the major cause for all of it because that's creating the uncertainty when it comes to collisions there are two scenarios one with a satellite colliding with debris and then the other is when two active satellites are heading towards each other so active and non-active as it is in a collision path at that point in time it's it's easy because you have a debris coming in your path so you know for a fact you have to move um, and the second scenario is where you have an active satellite and another active satellite in a in a collision path now there could be a scenario where a satellite operator a would say that satellite operator would uh, satellite operator a would uh, tell you that uh, look i do not want to do the maneuver if you want to do you can do that at that point in time, uh, the satellite operator B, if he ends up doing a maneuver, he is losing fuel. If he's losing fuel, it's affecting his lifespan because fuel directly accounts to the lifespan of a satellite. So at that point in time, there is a conflict. Now there is a third way to solve this, which is doing a coordinated maneuver. You move by few kilometers, I move by few kilometers, so both of us 
go to a different place and you know both of us have spent equal or more or less equal amount of fuel uh, so uh, that's that's more of a coordinated maneuver scenario and we've seen this happening uh, between onewebs and starlinks where starlinks at sometimes did not do a maneuver and oneweb had to do the maneuver Sanath brings up another important cost that comes with having to plan a maneuver. With this present technology, this collision avoidance maneuver is completely, most of the time it's manual, right? Manual in the sense is that there will be human is required uh, for monitoring the objects, calculation of the collision risk and planning the maneuver. So that takes a lot of human hour, right? In space, we, we don't do anything real time. So uh, we'll have to understand what's happening with these objects and movements of objects over time basically there is a there is a term called orbit propagation once we track any object in the orbit uh, we we propagate we propagate the object's path by few days so that we understand where this object could be after say 7 days and and we do that for the entire catalog and once we screen an object against the catalog and if we find a potential hit that's when we tell a satellite operator at least few days ago saying your satellite will collide at this day and this time so better be prepared to do a maneuver at that time a satellite operator can decide if he thinks this is a risk because there are definitions again if if an object is say 100 meters away from your satellite somebody may tell that you know this is something that i don't see as a risk if a satellite is is 6 meters away or 10 meters away from a debris they may say that look i do not want to take a chance so i would want to do a maneuver so it depends on the satellite operator eventually to conduct this maneuver and once he um, he agrees to do a maneuver he has to switch on his propulsion systems thrusters would fire up and then we plan the maneuver sequence once we give the maneuver designs to them basically if you go from this orbit to this orbit you'll be safe or you have to move your satellite by so many kilometers then you'll avoid the space debris and then you can get back but anirudh explains that the cost implications are twofold first way is we're spending fuel spending fuel is directly affecting the lifespan if it is directly affecting the lifespan it is affecting the business as well because the satellites in orbit are meant to do something and that something may be switched off for certain duration uh during the maneuver and 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 if you're spending the fuel if the satellite had to operate for 5 years maybe it'll operate if we do a lot of maneuvers uh, maybe it will end up only operational for 4 years so we're losing one year of life of the satellite and one year of business from that particular asset because there is a lot of investment that goes into uh, building a satellite and operating a satellite now it comes to the actual cost as per report of european space agency um cost of each of these maneuvers can be upwards 25000 us dollars and collision avoidance maneuvers aren't limited to satellites it affects astronauts too according to a december 2022 nasa report since 1999 the international space station has conducted a total of 32 course corrections to avoid satellites and trackable debris and with the low earth orbit becoming increasingly congested Anirudh and Sanat say that there are two or three satellite maneuvers happening every year. As we continue to increase the number of satellites we're sending up and continue to innovate in space technology, 
And as we continue to be reliant on satellite services, I wonder what would happen if things get so congested that we see collisions that would affect our day-to-day lives. What happens if, you know, for example, a collision ends up shutting off internet services? Could this race to dominate space end up causing mayhem on Earth? Yes. So uh, there is a terminology which is called the Kessler syndrome, right? So which tells us that there is a possibility of so, so much space debris that it creates a chain reaction, right? So one debris hits other, then it creates multiple debris. Those create, hit the others and it creates multiple debris. And eventually the, you cannot launch any satellites in the space, right? So that is a possibility, right? That is a possibility and it's not impossible if we do not behave responsibly, right? So, and uh, you are rightly said that since there's a number of satellites are increasing and people are talking about satellites for constellation of these thousands to ten thousand satellites right so then the possibility of collision increases right so i am of the opinion and it's completely my personal opinion is that these uh, kind of these mega constellations right should not be launched simply because we can right it should be much more in a more responsible way. The number of satellites should be uh, selected for a constellation in more responsible way to prevent this catastrophic damage. Right? That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back soon to unpack the next big data story. You can listen and subscribe to this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. You can also check out all of our data stories at thehindu.com slash data. Thanks for listening.